from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Police ask people to be on the lookout after almost 100 beehives are stolen. Is farmland holding its value despite higher interest rates and other pressures? We have a new report as sparks fly during a House Ag Committee hearing. We had record income, and but the problem no, sure you did not. was concentrated. As Congress looks for answers from the Secretary of Ag right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on the cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Sparks fly as USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack was grilled before the House Ag Committee on Wednesday. Lawmakers challenging the Ag Secretary when it came to SNAP benefits, farm income and fertilizer prices. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins me. And Michelle, this all comes on the heels of USDA releasing the new census of ag, which as we told viewers yesterday, shows a drop again in the number of farms in this country. Clinton Republican Congressman Austin Scott of Georgia took Ag Secretary Vilsack to task on the shrinking percentage of the USDA budget that's going to farmers in production agriculture. Scott says the misdirected priorities of the Biden administration are the reason the U.S. is losing farmers and why food prices are higher. Representative Scott says in 2010, SNAP and food program spending was about 67% of USDA's budget, with 33% going to farm and commodity funding or conservation. However, today that allocation is 80% to food and nutrition programs. So, so that leaves 20% instead of 33% for conservation, production, agriculture, all of the other things that the USDA does. Just simple math. Less than 10% of your total USDA funding now is going to go to production agriculture. Is that correct? Uh, Congressman, I don't know if that's correct or not. What's the point? Scott replied that his point was that Vilsack testified about the loss of family farms in the new census data, but says, quote, starving farmers don't get to plant the food to feed hungry people, end quote. And the heated exchange continued. We had record income, and but the problem no, sir, you did not. was concentrated. 21 and 22 were good, but 23 was bad. You no, lost it, over it, the 23 was, no, number. No, 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 it was not bad. It was actually above the historic average. The three it years was a significant total, fall best, off. Best three years in 50 years, for sure. Best, I think the best years from a net cash income ever. So, Secretary Vilsack, have you talked to any farmers I about how much fertilizer costs, about how much sir. diesel costs, about the, the cost of land rent because of Net what you've done with solar subsidies and everything farm. else? Vilsack rebutted by saying the problem is food production is concentrated in the hands of large farms. And I've got nothing against production agriculture and large operators. We need them. The question is, what are we doing about Secretary the other percent Scott concluded that the American public does not want to be reliant on foreign sources of food and is facing higher food prices than before the Biden administration. He says more dollars need to be targeted to production agriculture instead of green energy programs and the like. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. The Biden administration says it's hiring. USA is looking for 100 people to join its new Working Lands Climate Corps. The team is part of the broader American Climate Corps focused on climate mitigation and preparation. Now, the Working Lands Group will train in conservation and climate smart ag practices. USDA hoping it will encourage the adoption of practices that can generate additional revenue for farms and ranches. Despite higher interest rates and pressure on farm income, ag real estate values remained resilient 
through the end of last year. That's the headline in a new report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Now it reports non-irrigated farmland values, which you see in this chart in purple, saw an average growth of around 10% from the previous year, while irrigated farmland in blue and ranch land values there in green experienced slightly slower growth rates. Now it says demand for farm loans increased toward the end of 2023 due to lower crop prices and more stable production expenses. Farmland values varied in the district, but notable increases were seen in western Missouri and Nebraska, which you see highlighted in this chart in black. Cash rents for farmland stabilized despite continued growth in farmland values, with ranch land rents slightly decreasing while non-irrigated and irrigated rents remained largely unchanged. Winter is making a return appearance to the northern plains and parts of the Midwest. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht is tracking it for us. Matt? Yeah, we got a couple of shots at some energy moving through, but I always have to preface by saying this is not a, one of those major storms working across the United States. Rather, bits of energy here and there, which is going to loft up uh, some snow, possibly some rain uh, for a few locations. The overall trend, though, is for a quiet weather pattern to build back in across the United States towards the end of the weekend and especially next week. So we'll start you off. This is Thursday at 11 o'clock in the morning. They got uh, the snow and rain line dividing right through portions of Michigan and Illinois as you go north about two to four inches of snowfall uh, back up into Michigan, and then this is going to be working to the east. It will deepen and strengthen as it works closer to the coast, increasing those winds, and will actually follow the possibility of some light lake effect snow on the backside of the system. That's going to be number one. There's Thursday at 10 p.m. Second one is going to follow kind of a similar track more down to the south, though, as this trough digs uh, near the Hudson Bay into Canada, that's going to push most of that energy down to the south. But you see, this isn't really uh, reflected at the surface in a traditional strong low pressure system early on by Saturday and Sunday that will be working to the east. And we have more producers getting excited to start planting. Now Brent Johnson of Ashland, Illinois, saying a couple of days ago it was a great day to get the planter moved down of cold storage and into the shop. He says plant 24 will be here before you know it. Brent, you said it. Earlier this week, we saw planters were already starting to roll in Texas. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Heavy rains recently in California brought mudslides and heavy snow, but they also mean good news for the western water supply. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says the storms added to the mountain snowpack in California, which were up when we started the year, but only 25% of average. Now he says this latest round of storms put the average close to 75% for mid-February, but in the northern Cascades and northern Rockies, the news is not as good. We do have quite a few watersheds with less than half of the typical snowpack for mid-February. However, the storms have improved water supplies in the southwest, where most snowpacks there are reported at or above normal levels. Authorities in California are asking people to be on the alert for nearly 100 stolen beehives. The Fresno County Sheriff's Office sharing these pictures. They say 96 beehives valued at nearly $34,000 were stolen late last month. Now, investigators say they were in an open field and were positioned in almond orchards in the Central Valley for almond blossom season. About 80% of all U.S. almonds are produced in this region. Now, they report the hives are multicolored and are all branded with the letters MEB. 
They were owned by South Dakota beekeepers. The sheriff's office spokesperson telling ABC News, with crimes like this, it's usually someone else in the industry who's behind it because they are familiar with handling bees. A $100,000 reward is being offered for information leading to an arrest. Strawberries are a popular Valentine's Day gift and USDA used the celebration of love to share news of a fresh release. The new cultivar is called Lumina. USDA's Agriculture Research Service says it produces a lustrous bright red strawberry that's large and sweet. Now scientists report Lumina is high yielding and ready during the earliest part of the mid-Atlantic strawberry season, late April to early May. They're also relatively disease resistant, especially against anthracnose, and they store well. Geneticists say no fumigation or fungicides were used in the field, and even two weeks after harvest, the Lumina strawberries were in good shape, 24% more marketable than its early season predecessor. The ugliness continues in the grain market. We'll look at what caused all of the Valentine's Day red coming up next. And later, a horse named Pretty with a love for hard music while she's rocking out to heavy metal in the country. McDonald's says it has met its goal of serving only cage-free eggs at its fast food restaurants, and it was able to do it two years ahead of its original timeline. The restaurant chain bought nearly 2 billion eggs last year. It credited the effort to the support from Cargill and its egg producers. Now, McDonald's said it worked with animal welfare experts and academics to help egg producers build and renovate their farm. Now, cage-free means hens are housed in an open environment, which the company says allows birds freedom to express their natural behaviors and includes such things as perches, scratch areas, and nests. It says each McDonald's supplying egg farm in the U.S. has an attending veterinarian who helps lead training and education for staff. Mostly a down day in the markets midweek with feeder cattle taking it on the chin. Shell Rook is back with an update in Markets Now. Wednesday's market closes were mostly lower except for the hog markets. Kent Vita with Paradigm Futures is joining us in Kent. Uh, the grains all saw a sell-off. We saw new contract lows in corn and Kansas City and Minneapolis wheat, but some of this was just some concerns going into the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, right? Yeah, I think it was. And we did make new lows for the move in soybeans as well, uh, even though they weren't contract lows. But, you know, to be fair, we are all looking ahead to the release of the new balance sheets for the 24-25 season. Uh, which will give us new acreage, uh, projected yields, projected demand, and and some carryouts that uh, the trade believes, uh, looking at average trade guesses, are going to result in um, significantly higher ending stocks in all three of our major commodities. So funds stepped on the accelerator as a result, didn't they, on the sell side? Yeah, absolutely they did. Um, They've been selling it uh, regularly for weeks. We've been watching open interest trend higher. We had a small break in that trend, but uh, uh, open interest jumped here again, uh, uh, has been jumping again this week. And it very likely means that um, uh, the size of that speculative short position uh, continues to grow. Corn market, where do you think we find the next support? Do we have to go down and take out $4 at this point? Well, there's uh, there are major old highs on the continuation chart right at 420. So it means we also took out some key support there, didn't we? 
Yeah, we were looking at uh, um, 1179 as being a, a support area that uh, we'd made that low, I think, on Monday of the previous week and, and held it through most of last week. Uh, took that out. And cattle also ended in the red on Wednesday, and we did have some lower cash trade, didn't we? Yeah, uh, Southern Plains trade today was $180 even, uh, down a couple dollars from uh, last week's trade, uh, influenced by some early week weakness in the cattle market, and uh, that helped trigger some additional selling in the cattle in what turned out to be kind of a risk-off day in almost all of our Thanks for joining us, Ken Beetle Paradigm Futures, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. Take a look at that temperature outlook between the 21st and the 27th. Uh, last month, we talked about the middle of February uh, having those uh, cooler than average temperatures or at least a possibility of some snow and uh, colder temperatures. We're flipping right back to uh, late January, early February type pattern uh, with above average temps across the entire United States. Southern California, a little bit below average, but again, that overall trend with the jet stream is to support ridging quiet weather and warm temperatures through the United States. So let's take a look at that precipitation outlook. Now the cooler than average conditions in Southern California will also represent the possibility of some heavy rainfall in and across parts of the West Coast. Quiet in and across the United States and then possibility of a wetter than normal pattern. This would most likely be snow possibly as we get into next week and combine that above average temperature trend with what we have with the moisture maybe looking at some snow, but also maybe a rain snow mix. Now here's the jet stream coming up on uh, Thursday. We looked at this earlier uh, that you see these troughs trying to dig and we've talked about this before. If we're talking about cold, Arctic, air, strong, low pressure systems in the winter, this trough needs to start digging back here to the west. It can't do that with this ridge of high pressure forming. So you get more of these shallow troughs and weak clipper systems moving through rather than a more robust system that encompasses a large portion of the United States. So that's where we're going for the next couple of days into our Saturday and our Sunday. That ridge is going to sag right back here towards the west. Another bit of energy is going to work down kind of the railroad tracks between the ridge and the trough, uh, bringing with it possibility of some lake effect snow, uh, some cooler temperatures. Then next week, yeah, you see what returns. You got the white and the red extending back into Texas and more of the orange and the yellow back up here to the north. Now, in another situation, if we're talking about this system breaking down quickly, uh, this is not what we'd be looking for. We'd be looking for a trough here that would usher that ridge out or break that ridge down. That's not happening. So that's kind of a long way of saying this is going to be around for a little bit. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with ridging over the United States. Illinois. Partly cloudy, high around 42 degrees. Cisco, Texas, partly cloudy, high about 74 degrees, low of 55. And how about Grass Valley, California? Got some morning showers high around 51 degrees. The latest census of ag is out. We'll look at the breakdown for livestock next. And later, rocking out with this Canadian horse named Pretty, while she's pretty keen on heavy metal in the country. Drover's Report on Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Discover your possibilities and enhance your herd's potential. 
Earlier this week, USDA released the 2022 Census of Agriculture, and there were several key numbers released when it comes to livestock. Now, the census showing the value of production of crops and livestock reached $543 billion in 2022. That's up $154 billion from 2017. While crop and livestock split that production value in 2017, in 2022, crops were 52% and livestock 48%. Diving into the value of livestock production by category, cattle and calves made up the majority, worth almost $90 billion of the more than $262 billion total. Texas, the top state for cattle and calves, holding 17%. And here you can see the change in value for the top 10 commodities from 2017 to 2022, with cattle and calves seeing a more than 12% increase in market value. Looking at the change in farm production expenses over the same period, you can see feed costs increase more than 25%. It represents more than $88 billion of total farm production expenses. And livestock purchased increased more than 6%, which is more than $51 billion of farm expenses. Cash cattle prices last week making some gains while beef packers saw margins decline. Take a look at the numbers in the latest Sterling Profit Tracker. It says cash cattle prices saw an average $3.50 per hundredweight gain last week, leaving per head losses at $6. Beef packers saw their margins decline by $49 a head, creating a $70 per head loss. Cash cattle averaged $181 per hundredweight. Cattle sold last week carried a total feed cost of $398 per head. That's down about $25 from the previous week and $202 less than the same week a year ago. The crash in the feeder cattle market in the fourth quarter of 2023 has been partially blamed on alleged abuse of the Livestock Revenue Protection Program. In fact, this brought about new policy at the recent NCBA convention to tighten the LRP program. However, officials with NCBA say they are still investigating whether or not there was so-called subsidy harvesting. That way, they will know what changes need to be made to the program and if those need to be done in the Farm Bill or administratively through RMA. But what we have found in talking to a lot of the providers of LRP, a lot of analysts, is the opinions on this are across the board. They really are. So we are continuing to look for what that, that truth is, you know, what's, what's the nugget behind this. And once we can identify that, then I think that will allow us to help go to USDA and ask for whatever administrative changes we need to ensure that this is a program that is, is working the way it was meant. Now Woodall says they don't want abuses to the program because LRP has been a great risk management tool for cattle producers and it is the only tool available for cow-calf producers for risk protection. It's true our musical tastes are often very unique. Well up next we'll meet a Canadian horse that gets hyped for heavy metal in the country. If you think heavy metal music attracts only two-legged fans, Wait till you see a horse that's gone viral for how she rocks out. She gives a whole new meaning to the term rocking horse. Meet Canadian racehorse Pretty. Now just watch her here. She's a headbanger, but only to certain songs. Her groom, Autumn Purdy, noticed the heavier the metal music, the more the horse would headbang. At Bogar Farms in Ontario, they tested country music, but she would turn away from it. Her appetite for metal was obvious. She feels like she's sort of on beat. 
she always is. It's incredible. No matter what song we play, slow jams, she's slow, heavy songs, she's going with the beat. Now our online fans call her a rocking horse. Her favorite band so far seems to be Slipknot, but surprisingly, Pretty wasn't that into Rage Against the Machine. Her groom plans to post weekly music reviews with ratings based on headbanging intensity or lack thereof. All right, and that's all the time we have this morning. I'm sure glad you tuned in. All of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.